Welcome to the EFCA West podcast. I'm Tim Jacobs, District Superintendent of EFCA West and your host of today's podcast, which is called Mastering the Art of Public Speaking with Omar Rivas. So here's the story. I am, in addition to being district superintendent, I am a chaplain in the United States Air Force Reserve. It's something I've been doing for about seven years now. And I'm over at Luke Air Force Base in the Phoenix area. And I was on my annual tour recently, and and they sent us to, to get some training on how to facilitate a marriage conference that is actually amazing content to be able to help strengthen the marriages and relationships of our troops. And so as, and as part of doing that, the military uh, hires people who are experts in the field to help us become better presenters up front. And so as we were going through this, and it was all on Zoom, as we were going through this, one of the trainers was a guy named Omar, and he is uh, had was his job was to train us not on content but on delivery. And as I was listening to him and writing notes down and thinking about you guys and and everyone everyone who listens to this podcast who preaches, who communicates up front and now even on Zoom, I thought I've got to get Omar on our podcast to teach all of us because the material is absolutely outstanding. So Omar has his own company. He trains CEOs, all branches of the military, other professional speakers. He is called an engagement expert. And so, you know, without any further ado, Omar, welcome to the EFCA West podcast. Thank you, Tim. Uh, it's, a, it's a real pleasure to be here, actually. And uh, lots of Kudos. Thank you very much. My ego is, is really just exploding here really well. Thank you. Well, I, I appreciate that. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm always on the hunt for for talented people that I believe can can help our our pastors and leaders. And tell us just a little bit about your background. Uh, you have an interesting, uh, interesting story and even just what kind of what you do. Wow. Well, I I grew up in New York City, born and raised there. Uh, I am first-generation American. My parents are Cuban. And I, uh, I went through quite a bit of a childhood, uh, primarily growing up in New York City, in the, uh, the inner city of New York City, uh, Harlem, to be specific. And my parents were not as educated as you would think. My dad went to, I believe, the sixth grade. My mom went to the second grade. And, but they raised a child who ended up going to college. I went to college at the University of Miami and I became, I'm a Marine. I I was in the Marines for uh, a a little stint and I then became a youth pastor for for a while. And my my goal has always been entrepreneurship. I've been a entrepreneur for 40 years. I've had 12 companies in the last last 40 years. Mm -hmm of which in each one of the industries that I've actually had companies in, I've had the opportunity to speak at their conventions, their conferences, at a variety of different public um, communication uh, events. And I've been received quite well. I then started to look at speaking and communicating and, and engaging as an art form and eventually a science. And now I travel the world working with chaplains in the Army, Navy, Air Force, and National Guard, uh, primarily sharing my insight, my expertise, not from a critical perspective in looking at what you can do 
what you're doing wrong, but also what is the potential for engagement that possibly is a blindside to some uh, pastors, priests, rabbis, monks, and so on that are actually delivering uh, engagement with with their troops and their their spouses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you've got a website omarrivas.com, and Correct. and you could, you do offer coaching. I do. I, I work with executives. I work with um, CEOs. I do CEO roundtables. Uh, executives, principals, directors in the tech field, the medical, legal, and financial worlds, and that's been uh, the, the primary goal of my business. I began working with the military when Stronger Families approached me a few years back, I think about six years back, uh, because they wanted to not just bring out a curriculum that will enhance the lives of military married individuals, but also how do we get that that content delivered in, in the most engaging manner and effective manner possible. And that's where I came on with them. So I consult with them and have been doing trainings. We've done about 1,200 chaplains uh, worldwide, and I look forward to doing 1,200 more. It's, uh, it's incredible, not just because of the work that I do regarding the engagement, but also there's two things I love. One is the fact that um, the military is something that I'm passionately in love with, mm. and also marriage, which I believe is a incredible God-ordained union that I think undeniably needs help in today's society. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, and that's how we met because um, I was being trained in the Stronger Families curriculum, which is a, a, a curriculum that the military uses, as you said, to strengthen the, the, the families and strengthen the marriages in our military uh, community. And I will tell you that what I loved about what you said, and I wrote down a, a ton of notes. And so just so we know here, just so everyone listening knows, we're not going to be talking so much about content when it comes to preaching and upfront communication. We're going we're to be talking about the style, the delivery, the dynamic, and really getting into some even scientific stuff that I think everybody needs to know if you're going to do this for a living. It's not just about being able to get by or even having the right content. And right off the bat, I knew that you were, you were setting us up for some, some very powerful material because you, when we were talking, you know, you talked about this, the, the difference between being successful and being significant. And you said, you know, you, it's, if you're successful, you might be the best in the world, but if you're significant, that means you're the best for the world. And, and it made me think, and I, I don't know if this is something you said or a question I wrote down, but how do we become significant for our hearers. You know, it's one thing to deliver a sermon. It's another thing to deliver it in such a way that it, it you communicate it in such a way that it lodges into their soul, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, undeniably. And I think the idea of significance is the fact that when one is influenced by something that they continue to perpetuate, as opposed to something that like motivation, you have to continually be motivated in some aspect or another. Significant grows from within. Once you actually are, are, are led by someone or influenced by someone in a significant manner, it perpetuates. It allows for growth to occur. And a lot of that is not just an emotional rah, 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 where you get it in a lot of these, these meetings, per se. A lot of it is understanding the science and how it actually, how do we influence human beings? We all have 
this incredible, beautiful mind, this incredible tool set to absorb information. In fact, one of the data points that I, I shared is the fact that humans can can actually can actually speak somewhere between 110 to 150 words a minute. And ex ex unless you're from New York, and then you're speaking in that 180 range, right? <laughs> but if you're if you're if you're listening to that amount of information, it actually is less than what you're capable because the human brain can comprehend up to 600 words a minute. And what happens is that that gap that exists between what you're able to comprehend and the the actual amount of information that's being given to us is there's this huge gap. And that, that potential, that, that brain power is being used in other areas. And engagement taps into that potential brain power and diverts it into where you wish them to actually go. Not from a manipulation perspective, but from an engagement perspective. And there's scientific ways of doing that by using the English language, um, by preloading information, by bringing in information to people in a way that they grasp on and they lean forward and they lean into your information. Most people will say, hey, the Socratic methodology works somewhere. We just ask questions and people are just constantly engaged with you. That's not necessarily true because they respond to answer the question, not to engage with the actual information that's being given to us. There's a process that occurs in, in the mind and there's ways of actually getting to that. And I've actually been a student of that particular science and have used it in the hundreds of thousands of people that I've had the opportunity to, to engage with. And it's mostly mostly leaders who are actually facilitating information towards other, uh, to, towards other individuals. In, in the world of the chaplaincy, obviously they're preaching, they're teaching, they're educating, they're, they're influencing. And are they doing it to the best of their capabilities? Not to somebody else's capability. Not to some standard that says, oh, this is what you need to do and this is how you need to do it. That's incorrect. That's totally out of the ballpark incorrect because no two people will present the same ideology the same way. And my expertise has, has, has grown into understanding what is the individual's potential for presenting a particular concept or idea for its maximum and effective use by the recipient. And in this case, in the case at least with stronger families, it's this in, in, in marriage enrichment understanding. Uh, no matter from stronger families did an incredible job in creating this, this, this program. Now, can it be presented in a manner that is befitting how it was created with excellence? And that's, that's, where, I, that's where I come from. Right, and, and so we've got a lot of listeners who, and it's, it's hard when you're a pastor because it's one thing to present the same information over and over again in a, in a period of time. But when you've got to have, like, and I always just say, Hey, I've got 30, I've got to come up with 30 to 40 minutes of fresh material every week spoken to the same people who are used to my stories and who know me. And it's got to keep them coming back to a voluntary organization where, and if I'm going to get anywhere further than just the few people that are going to show up because they like me, not because they necessarily want to hear me, but because they feel bad if they don't show up or they like the kids program or whatever, there's got to be something more that I can, that, that I can give them. And that's a, that's a hard thing for a lot of 
a lot of pastors, preachers, and teachers to do. So let's get into the science a little bit about this because we, you know, you talk about like the 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 the, um, the cocktail of mm. emotion. So tell us a little bit about what you mean by that. The angels' cocktail, the devil's cocktail. Talk about that. Yes, uh, angels' cocktail. Uh, the angels' cocktail is the chemical composition that occurs when people are introduced to a, a certain amount of information or a certain type of information. They are allowed to feel something. And in particular, the four chemicals are dopamine, oxytocin, endorphins, and serotonin. And those chemicals can actually be incited through a conversation with an audience. Uh, the dopamine, of course, allows people to feel good. Oxytocin allows people to bond with you and what you actually are engaging. And with that, obviously, there's a variety of other aspects to that bonding, which has to do with uh, eyebrows. And I'll probably get into that a little bit later. Um, the endorphins themselves uh, allows people to feel like rock stars. And uh, serotonin in general allows people to feel important. If you can combine those chemical concoctions, if you would, through how you actually are presenting, more than likely you're going to have an emotional connection, not just one that is of an intellectual perspective. It's not just knowledge transfer. You're not just attempting to bring information over. You're actually attempting to, you're actually engaging with them at the emotional level because these chemicals are what drives emotional uh, existence within um, the prefrontal cortex, if you would. And if you can stimulate that, you, you gain trust and you gain a tremendous amount of engagement because of stimulation. So in essence, uh, my objective is to make great presenters into drug dealers and to <laughs> allowing them to actually be able to induce drugs. But on the other hand, there's also the devil's cocktail. And the devil's cocktail, if you think about it, is cortisol and adrenaline. And we all know that most people uh, on an average, are either running away from something or weren't running towards something. What drives them to run away from something is usually the chemical combination of adrenaline and cortisol. And we can actually influence that. You've probably either been to a movie or you've actually had a conversation with somebody and they tell you a horrific story and you're feeling what they're actually able to, uh, what they're sharing with you. And that is when adrenaline and cortisol just spikes well, then they are now looking for the angel's cocktail. They're looking for a solution. And when we present as, as influencers, as teachers, preachers, and educators, when we present ideas and concepts in a manner that allows adrenaline and cortisol to be produced in the, the minds of the attendees, they all of a sudden are looking for a solution, mm. which then allows your solution, whatever that might be, to be more accepting and more more something that they would actually want to embrace and engage with. And that's, that's the science behind it. Yeah. And there's, there's other methodologies, obviously, and, and other tactics, but in general, there are methodologies that can be used to actually incite an emotional connection with the, with the, with the audience. Well, and I think it's important that we just understand that. I mean, God has made our brains so, like you said, with so much complexity and our, it really it's about capacity. We have this amazing capacity to think and to feel and to understand. And so the science of it is understanding what we're capable of as people. And, and you, you know, you said something else uh, during our training that I wrote down 
that because a lot of these things aren't produced just by raw data. They're produced by telling a story, for example. Right. And, and you said something to the effect of story has access that data doesn't. Story, story is able to access the heart. The data isn't necessarily able to do that. It accesses maybe the brain like, oh, that's interesting, but it doesn't get to the heart. And where the heart is, is where those emotions lie. And then, and then really, isn't that what then you say basically fills the deficit then of what we're capable of absorbing at any given moment. So it's not just, yeah, we can hear all kinds of words all day, but there's still a, a vacancy there. And that's what we want to fill in by capturing the emotions of our hearers. It's, it's interesting you mentioned that. The, the actual quote is from a gentleman by the name of Harrison Monrath. And his quote reads, a story can go where quali- quantitative analysis is denied admission, our hearts. Data can persuade people, but it doesn't inspire them to act. To do that, you need to wrap your vision in a story that fires the imagination and stirs the soul. And the reality of being able to engage with an audience is not with data. I I work with the tech industry, and one of the shortcomings, I think, in the tech industry is that they attempt to, to deliver a tremendous amount of data from either an educational perspective or just from an informative perspective. And data does not fulfill a human need. It, it fulfills our ability to accomplish tasks, but not to actually engage with the actual information. And so the, the idea of a story, uh, which obviously in today's society, uh, about 10 years ago, the storytelling became such a big, huge business, how to, do a, how to create stories. And the reality is, there is no right way or wrong way of creating a story. The objective of a story is to engage an audience, mm-hmm. is to influence them. It's being able to tap into their lives and transport them into your, uh, your story, your event, in a manner that allows them to engage. And, and I'll, 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 I'll share this. There are some engaging triggers, for example, on, on engaging people with their own lives. If I was to ask the audience now, hey, describe pain to me. More than likely I would get, if there were 30 people, I would get 30 different uh, explanations or definitions of what pain is. But if I was to ask what is frustration, more than likely we're going to be more distilled down to a single understanding of what frustration is, which is why seven major triggers in engaging people or inciting them using your story are the understanding of an acronym called FUDWAKA. FUDWAKA is frustrated, upset, disappointed, worried, angry, concerned, or anxious. Each one of those allows people to engage to a time in their lives when they were either frustrated, upset, disappointed, worried, angry, concerned, or anxious. And when we are in that state, we're then looking for the relief or the solution or the, 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 the upswing of that heaviness. Unfortunately, as human beings, this is what we are gravitated towards. We don't gravitate towards happiness, even though that's the solution. But if we, if we preface our stories with something good, then more than likely, uh, we won't have the, the outcome that we're looking for. So inciting emotional engagement with the understanding of FUDWAKA for the purpose of having that 400 word gap between what we hear and what we can comprehend and engaging that into the possibilities, 
Now we have an audience that is trying to move forward and to understand what's next. Where am I going next? What, what's the next objective? Now with that, of course, uh, regarding story crafting, not just storytelling, but story crafting, we start looking at how do we develop a great story? How do we put together something that allows people to not just know about your history or your past, but the different perspectives? And I'll tell you, Tim, you know, you, you sat in my, my, in my class for, what, two and a half, three hours, and, and I want to make, be respectful of the time we have here, but there, um, there was a young lady a few years back who approached me and said, Omar, I want to become a speaker. And I said, great, who do you want to speak to? And she said, I want to speak to brides. And I said, great, tell me about your wedding. And she began to tell me all about the flowers and the, and the church and the, 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 the gowns and the colors. And I said, stop, stop, stop. Tell me about the moment the pastor, priest, or rabbi said, you are now man and wife. You may now kiss the bride. Do you remember that kiss? And she said, yes. I said, do you remember that moment you turned back around to the audience and you saw the look on your mother's face? And she began to weep. And I said, you remember your dad's face? And she said, oh, yes. And she began to just cry. And I said, those five seconds are what you want to share. That's what people are looking for. That is what, what happens. And through some, some coaching that I shared with her, she now makes over $600,000 a year speaking all over the world at wedding shows, primarily to brides, by using a technique called dicing. And she's able to dice her story by different perspectives. In other words, most people know that opposite sides of a dice equals seven. Well, we can actually take a dice and put it here between us. You would see a three, I would see a four. We're looking at the same thing, but we're looking at it from different perspectives. Mm. She's able to take those five seconds and move it away and be able to share to the audience from different perspectives, from the ring boy's perspective, the videographer's perspective, from the perspective of her father, her husband, the pastor, priest, rabbi. She shared the, each one of these perspectives differently in a one hour talk. And it just engages people from just different ways. And that story crafting becomes the essence of how people lean in because they now are engaged, not just with the event or the story, but the idea that they see themselves in that story. Mm -hmm. And now you're firing up on, you're firing all 12 soldiers. So yeah. Well, and, and the, the genius of that, and I'm so glad you talked about that again, it's called dicing the story is looking at it from all angles. And, you know, in preaching, the beautiful thing about the Bible is, is that it's filled with so many different stories and narrative that because that's God's story, God's story put together, told through people and events and time. And one of the, it reminded me of one of the most profound sermons I ever heard was from my preaching professor at, at Talbot School of Theology, Dr. Don Sanukian, who preached a sermon and it was on the, it was, the, he did the entire book of Esther, the whole story of Esther, but he did it from the perspective of one of the guards. And mm. so what is the guard seeing from his perspective? I think it was the guard. I think it was, name was Harbona or something like that. Some weird. And, and, and he, and so he tells the story. He's like, my name is Harbona. And he's like, and, I, and he's like, wow, I couldn't believe there's this, this Jewish girl and she becomes the queen. Like no one, no one thought of that. And then there's this other guy over here that wants to, you know, kill all the Jews. And, you know, he's just kind of watching this thing passively as an observer, but he tells the story in such a fascinating way that the entire time you're just gripped. I mean, you're going, 
tell me what happens next. Like you said, you're leaning in and it's, it was so creative and yet very true to the text, true to the story. There wasn't any really creative license. In fact, it said he he took him like 40 hours of digging to make sure the details are right so that he could tell the story properly from that one particular character. But what you're saying is so true. I mean, we have, if we just, because our, our text is, is, uh, is EFCA pastors and leaders, our material is the scripture. And to be able to look at it from all different angles, like you said, to take a story and to dice a story of, it's not just about reading, you know, Jesus feeds the 5,000, but from the perspective of a person who was fed, right? Uh, you know, one of the, one of the people that was sitting there on the, or the perspective of one of the disciples or the perspective of somebody who, who heard about the event, you know, that came, one of their friends was there and they talked about it, but there's all, there's an unlimited way that you could, you could tell the story in an interesting way from that narrow perspective. Cause that's what brings out the detail, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, undeniably. And the concept behind that what actually allows people to engage with it, it's referred to as pattern interrupt. If you can interrupt the pattern, like you said earlier, your your congregation is knows who you are. They know your stories. They know where you're coming from. Uh, they, they know most of the events that have occurred in your life. They, they probably know everything intimately from you uh, that, that they may be more than they should know. But at the same time, we use it as parables in order to, uh, to influence the message itself. The interrupting a pattern is allowing people to believe that they are entering into a what they feel is a recognized understanding uh, a story an event an experience one that they probably heard before and suddenly put it into a perspective that they've never seen before and the example i use is uh, lucy and charlie brown everybody knows about lucy and charlie brown or at least i'm making that assumption that everybody knows who lucy and charlie brown are and the fact is that Lucy would always hold the football and tell Charlie Brown to come and kick it. And every single time Charlie Brown would come and kick it, uh, she would pull the football away and he would fall on his butt. Many stories, many volumes have been written on some of the s- sadistic nature of, <laughs> of Lucy and this, the masochistic nature of Charlie Brown. But nobody's ever written about the football from the football's perspective. Hmm. And what has happened, what has occurred? The same event occurred in the presence of the football, but nobody's ever really looked at actually presenting it from that fashion. And if we're able to actually bring a particular event to life from a different perspective, it interrupts the pattern. Once again, it taps into that 400 word processing power that the brain is able to, to comprehend and adjust to. And all of a sudden, they're now engaged because they haven't heard of that type of, of engagement. They've heard your story. But if the story was given from a different perspective or it was given from an antithesis perspective, and there's so many different tactics that could be used in order to, to present something for the purpose of engagement, not entertainment, not just storytelling. We're talking about being able to engage with an audience, and we're not just talking intellectually. We're talking emotionally with, with the heart. There are elements that are necessary for that to occur. Are they right and wrong ones? No. It's just the fact if you can get someone to lean in 10%, then more than likely you've got engagement and getting them to net not. Most professional speakers, including chaplains, 
have that ability in a live audience to be able to share an idea or a concept and they'll see the head nods coming up or they'll, they'll see the, the folded arms or they can get that engagement. We get that interaction. We understand where we're hitting, where we understand where we're missing and we can adjust accordingly to identify exactly how to get to that next step for engagement. Even the negative, the, the devil's cocktail is necessary to be presented so engagement occurs so they lean forward. What's the solution? Yeah, I know. I, I do have a headache. I do have this problem. It's that whole idea of going to the doctor and saying, doc, listen, my back hurts. My knee hurts. I got this stomach ache and I got gas. And the doctor says, yeah, that's normal. And you're like, wait a sec. What do you mean it's normal? Yeah, for a guy your age and your condition, it's normal. But the reality is it's not optimal. And that's where I start to start realizing, wait a second, there's something better. So I don't have to live with this. I don't have to just be a mediocre presenter or even a good presenter. I can be outstanding if I start running the science of engaging with an audience from a perspective of what is actually going on in their lives. Mm -hmm. How do we get them to, to tap into and transport into our stories? And that becomes magic, just magic. Yeah, absolutely. And this is something that anybody... This is, I mean, some people are kind of maybe born with a sixth sense of empathy or whatever else, but, but anybody can, can do this, right, to some degree. Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's understanding. It's understanding what are people feeling. If, if I want to preload somebody with the understanding of English language, and I share a story regarding, let's say, my wife, where every day... Every time I went to the store, say, hey, honey, I'm going to the store. Um, do you need me to pick up anything? She says, ah, don't pick me up anything stupid, okay? And I would say it again the next day. And every time I went to the store, hey, honey, I'm going to the store. You want me to pick you up anything? Nah, don't pick me up anything stupid. And all of a sudden, that one day, just that one day, hey, honey, I'm going to the store. You want me to pick you up anything? Nah, don't pick me up anything, stupid. <laughs> and that nanosecond of a pause changed everything. It changed the whole direction of where we were going, that little pause. Sometimes our human ears, our brain is attempting to look for these flaws in a preacher, in a teacher. We're trying to catch them in something. And in that process, if we can get them to engage and try not just to catch them in a mistake, but catch them in their message, we can do that with the, the English language. There's 813,000 words, there's 26 letters, and positioning them in the right way and putting them in the right sequence with the right amount of space between them all of a sudden causes worlds to explode, to lives to just absolutely just magically improve overnight. It's that understanding and engagement. That's that to me, to me, is just magic. Absolutely magic. Absolutely. And so there's all kinds of, we can, I want to break down and get into some of the, the specifics of this, even just as we talk about getting up and speaking just practically. Uh, but first too, let's, let's go over the concept of what we call truth. And that's not truth said with a speech impediment. It is truth. <laughs> F R U T H. Is that, do I have that right? Yes. Okay. Tell us about truth. Truth is a concept. Um, I wrote a paper on it. It's in my LinkedIn page and uh, the idea that facial truth is so critical in that engagement with another human being. Uh, most of us have maybe seen the show back in the early 2000s uh, called Lie to Me, 
Lie to Me was specifically um, created by Paul Ekman and Stephen Young, who actually are microexpression expressionists, if you would. They study the microexpression, the 43 muscles of our face, and the ability to express emotion. Uh, it is amazing how often we are not really cognizant of our ability to present because we don't spend time in front of a video camera or a mirror in order to identify, well, what does happy look like? What does sad look like? Mm. We know those. We mm. know those those little, those big ones. And the idea is there are tiny, small, significant facial expressions that can be shared that sometimes are confusing, uh, primarily because of our use of our eyebrows. There are people who actually will express certain joy or pain or sorrow or anger and their eyebrows don't move, which then doesn't allow for that recognition, that facial recognition to occur in what their person is, is saying. The moment what we're saying and what we're seeing has a disconnect, we also then have a disconnect with the person who's, who's sharing. You can't literally just smile and talk about death or pain. You can't frown and talk about love and joy. Those are common, but there are subtleties. There's 122 emotions that can be shared by our facial expressions. And truth, facial truth, is something that we then can actually look at to identify what is my facial truth. Uh, anyone can download the emotional wheel. Uh, it's, in, it's on just Google emotional wheel and you can download it. And if you study just one a day, what does your face look like when you're exasperated? What is what is what does uh, being uh, annoyed look like? What does frustration look like? What does concern look like? What is your face saying when you express those words? When you express that 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 moment, that that idea of a story, or when you're crafting. And I think truth is critical as a self-awareness process. This is not something from a perspective of just hey, let me just learn something else. No, God gave us a tool. Are you willing to sharpen it? Mm -hmm. Are you looking at putting it to the grindstone, identifying, hey, listen, what is the capability of this God-given tool that we're given? Mm -hmm. This face, this, this tone of voice, our body structure, the way we use our, our hands, just gestures. How, is, how can I improve that to a point where I now can universally and universally engage with an audience that is highly diverse? What are universal truths that exist that I can tap into in order for my message to land in their hearts, not just in their analytical brain? Yeah, and so I love that because you're saying, let's sharpen this tool, this instrument that God has given us to become people who can maximize our ability to engage. And all of this is brought together when we talk about the engagement, um, the significance of having the what you're really what this is about. It's not about tricks. It's about maximizing the ability to help people understand what it is you're trying to say so that they can grow. And there's and, and there's the complexity of our souls, the complexity of the body that God's given us, the, our ability to comprehend and understand and read things with all of our different senses is all part of that. And so, you know, and, and you had mentioned that there's like 33 muscles in the face, you know, and they all can produce these different things. And even when I was doing 
doing my little demonstration, that was one of the things that you got me on was you said, you know, you, you were saying something intense, but your eyebrows were lifted up as though, you know, it didn't, it didn't match. There was incongruence. And so, and, and it was, I don't know if it was during our session that it was you or someone that was talking about like Jim Carrey would sit in front of the mirror. Yeah. Yeah. Jim Carrey would, would practice for hours in front of a mirror to look at his facial expressions. And, and look where he's gotten, not just because of his talent, obviously, but he's gotten to know the tool. Right. He understands its capabilities and it, he understands what he's able to do with it and what he can engage with it. He can actually, and again, the same occurs with a voice, the same occurs mm-hmm. with an accent, the same occurs with um, uh, one, of the, one of the biggest shifts that I've seen is, uh, you remember Mike Tyson, Mike Tyson monstrous no neck just beast of a man and then he's got this little voice that just absolutely just doesn't scare anybody and you start thinking about this wait a second there there's something some there's a there's a disconnect here and that disconnect was auditory and visual obviously there are other disconnects that occur and it could be when we're talking about a particular event in our lives that we're using as an instrument for our message to land and it's not coming across true hmm. um I, I did a little acting not 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 anything i was a i've been on on miami uh, miami vice twice okay um i was the guy at the gas station at three in the morning when the ferrari went Ew. so but <laughs> aside from that I, i've done a lot of acting classes and i remember one of one of my uh, educators one of my teachers uh, i i shared a, a very impassioned uh, speech or talk a scene, if you would. And she said, I don't believe you. Hmm. And I said, excuse me? She goes, I don't believe you. She goes, I said, I cried. She goes, you did not feel what you just said. And that became a light bulb moment years ago, because we don't, we oftentimes try to retell a story, as opposed to relive a story. If we relive a story and or relive an event, an experience, an idea or a concept, all of a sudden we're reliving it with all the emotions wrapped around it and people love to engage and embrace that. And that becomes a magic where people now, audience members now can lean forward that 10%, use that 400 word processing. All of a sudden there's chemicals bouncing in and out all around their body and they are just hanging on to the next word that you have to say because it's a solution to a common problem that they're experiencing. So it's not just presenting the problem, it's just ideally engaging them into what you've experienced for them to actually become uh, relevant in the solution. That's where, I think that's what we all wanted to accomplish. Yeah. And it's almost like when you are in that place and I know as a, as a speaker, as a pastor, I've, I've been there sometimes where I was even caught by a surprise when you're saying something and it, it authentically catches you. Like maybe you're saying something and then it hits you in a way that it didn't even hit you in your prep. And you're like, wow, now that I think about that, it's even more like this or that. And, and, or it hits you maybe emotionally in a way that you didn't expect. And so if the audience senses that they're on this journey of understanding with you in real time, that it's actually making a difference in you at that moment in real time, I think that's very powerful, right? Mm -hmm. Because they're going, wow, there's something happening here. Like there's a breakthrough. There's a, there's an, there's an understanding. There's a solution to this problem that's being worked out right here in front of us. And like, like you said, it's common to everybody. So 
what's what's going to happen next and i don't it's there's some of those things you can't always engineer but i think it is important that you're so familiar with your with your material and and you've you've thought about it so much or you've internalized it so much that it has become a part of you before it can really become a part of them and if it's an illustrative life that you're sharing a life moment then it has to become something that they can find themselves into. Mm. Um, I think I've shared with the class. I've, I've had a, a, a pretty interesting life. I've been, I was raped when I was 12 years old by two 18 year old women. Uh, I've been shot. I've been stabbed. Uh, my dad broke my jaw twice before I was 14 years old. And um, I, I lost $33.6 million back in 1994. Um, those are great stories, entertaining, just beautiful stories. And I can share about, oh, yeah, success. And they mean absolutely nothing to the audience except for entertainment because they can't relate to those, mm. those stories, those events. Mm-hmm. So why would I share stories of that nature? It doesn't make for a better engagement. In fact, if anything, it separates them. I'm not like him. Yeah. And if, our, if we craft our stories, hey, much like me, who I've been depressed, I've been hurt, I've been frustrated, I've been annoyed, I've been concerned. Perhaps you have been too. And if you have, let's together journey into the solution and to see if there is one. Now, all of a sudden, you have created significance because you now have tapped them into something that they more than likely have been trying to avoid, but also something that they felt that they can actually look at as a possibility. And the, the, using the science of understanding, hey, what works? This is not manipulation. This is not everything in, in our lives, everything that has been created has a science behind it, everything. It's just a matter of understanding it. And the greatest creation is ourselves. How do we actually get to the point that we can understand ourselves and our capabilities and what we actually are able to, to share with an audience for the simple purpose of improving their lives, their relationships, their health, their mental awareness, um, their grit, whatever it might be that we're looking to improve. If we're able to share it from a really raw perspective, more than likely they can engage it, not for the entertainment value, but for the value that it serves in their lives. And that to me is, that's a gift. Not just because we're selected to do that, everyone can do it. Anyone can do it. Once you go to the purpose of understanding uh, of, of yourself, Jim mm-hmm. Carrey spent six to eight hours a day in front of the mirror. So of course he understood, and this for years, uh, Queen Latifah spent six hours, eight hours every single day uh, writing rhymes and um, practicing on her, her, her music. All of a sudden she came on the scene and everybody go, hey, where'd she come from? She's been working for nine years in her basement and just writing nonstop. All of a sudden you take notice. And so we don't take the time to take a look at what we've been gifted with, this body, this tone, this tone of voice, this facial structure. We don't, we don't take enough time to see how can we use this not to manipulate, not right. to persuade, but to engage people with a truth, an idea, a concept that can better their lives. And I think that's more the study of public speaking understanding yourself than it is of being able to project words. When it comes to information, we're going to either decipher, discern, or discard information. And uh, when there's a repetitive understanding or there's an experiential understanding with who the person is based on something that 
has nothing to do with them, but we actually are recollecting somebody uh, in our past, negative or positive. We now all of a sudden are going to decipher whether or not we want to listen to this. We're gonna discern what we're going to select to listen and, and, and learn or what we're going to discard. Oh, I've heard that before. Let me get rid of it. I don't need that information. We do this on a daily basis. The difference is, can we avoid that to happen when it comes to a, a presenter? And yes, we can, obviously. Yeah, and, and I think along with that, you know, is even, you know, the, like we talked about, we walking onto the stage, you don't say anything, and maybe you don't say anything even for a few seconds, or the power of silence. And we've all heard this before, you know, the, the, the dramatic pause and that sort of thing. But I will tell you that that for me is probably my biggest weakness as a speaker because I hate silence and I, I have this fear that if I stop that people will lose interest and it's actually the opposite that's true. And we can, we can use silence so effectively, much more effectively than we do. The other thing is we don't wait until like you say something funny and then you just keep on talking. And I think I did that in the illustration. I was, I said something that was funny or whatever, and I just, just rolled right over it. And I hate that because I'm trying to get better at that, you know, but. Some, some pastors, priests, rabbis, chaplains, uh, executives, uh, principals, speakers in general will carry on at 150 words a minute. They'll use the word and at the end of a sentence or the beginning of the next one. And it just sounds like one huge, big paragraph. And the problem with that is you never give an opportunity for the audience to actually start processing the information. Mm. In the world, in the public speaking world, one of the most one of the most powerful ways of communicating is to not say a word before you say your first word. I give I do a, a seminar referred to as the Kama Sutra of leadership, hence pattern interrupt, Kama Sutra, leadership. Mm -hmm. um, most people saying, whoa, what are you, what are you teaching? Point is, I will step on stage and I'll actually not say a word for eight seconds after I'm introduced. And about the fifth second, you can see the nervousness in the crowd. You can see they're thinking, did he forget his opening line? Is he, uh-oh, what, what's he thinking about? What's going on? And all of a sudden, when I drop the, the first word, the first gesture, all of a sudden there's this relief and then re-engagement. I've actually able to get people to move in, move back and then move back in all with that eight seconds. Now, eight seconds is an uncomfortable, long amount of time, but it becomes so effective throughout the rest of the talk. So I preloaded them with an, uh, an I, uh, a devil's cocktail of anxiety, mm. in, in fact. And then I'm actually having them, once I release them, they relax and then I engage <laughs> them again because I'm confusing, I'm, I'm interrupting their pattern, but not in a very, in a joke manner, riddle manner, in a way that they are now moving forward and back. And now we've got this roller coaster, this ebb and flow of information and conversation with the audience. And that is so incredible. I did this with a large crowd and it was really interesting where physically, I actually had a camera in the back, a camera in the front and a camera on the side. And it was interesting to watch the head nods while that eight seconds were going and you can see them just you can see all the heads kind of start moving <laughs> yeah. all of a sudden i said the first word and it's, it's almost as if they were all synchronized their heads came back about two or three inches and then they engaged forward i'm like i should i need to do a study on this and i began studying more on it 
And it was that pause at eight seconds. Um, again, eight might be uncomfortable. Three could be suffice. It, there's no amount of number. It's what's comfortable for you. And it's not just staring out into space. It's being able to engage with the audience visually and then presenting. So there is quite a bit that could be done just from that public speaking perspective. But of course, what I consider public preachers are not public speakers. They speak publicly, but they're influencers. And the idea isn't so much to create the impact, is to create the engagement. Impact might be part of it, but it's not the reason for it. That makes sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, that we're we're engaging, but we want to we're, we're we, we say it's not so much for information as it is for transformation. That's what we want. Mm -hmm. You know, yes. it's not about teaching information. It's about transforming lives. And, and you can't do that by just standing up there without, you know, thinking about how people receive information or the level to which they're going to be engaged. That then, so the, you kind of touched on this, but let's talk about the emotional cap. Cause I found that really interesting too how you start emotionally is is uh, you can cap your level of en of engagement by starting too high or too low. Talk to me about that. There is a the idea that every individual has a resting neutral face. Most don't even know what it is. Their perception is that it's a smile, and that's not a resting face. What occurs is when a presenter, a facilitator, preacher, teacher, educator, however you want to title it, comes to the stage and has an emotion already on their face, they have established baseline mm. for their emotional connection using fruit. Anything from that point on up or down is going to be limited by where they start. If they start with a smile, if they were, if they were to open with a joke, then they have to get happier and it just comes across highly inauthentic. They have capped the emotional range of how they're going to fruitfully or facially engage the audience. And understanding that emotional cap and who you are is, is, is critical from a self-awareness perspective. The, the idea of understanding those that are actually have the opportunity to present or start their conversation from a very serious manner, they can't, they would have a very difficult time engaging in a very deep heartfelt emotion because they can't get lower than that. Mm -hmm. And that now has that, that cap, that emotional cap fa facially, visually has, has, has now been limited and your expression, your connection with the audience it then falls just ever so short from what you wish it to. And you probably couldn't even understand why. I have a client who couldn't stop smiling. She has this incredible smile and she's always smiling. She can't tell a joke to save her life because it doesn't matter. She can't last more than this. Mm -hmm. And so she has kept it. It sounds the same as if she's talking about, hi, welcome to the seminar this morning. Everything is awesome. And she's got this big smile. So if she says a joke, she can't express the the gain in that emotion that has to do with happiness or joy so she has capped it and i find so many individuals aren't aware of what that looks like yeah um, yeah we, we, had, we had a chaplain at one time that came in and, and i'm not going to use his, his name but um he said 
my name is Chaplain, let's say Rivas, Chaplain Rivas, and I'll be referred to as Chaplain Rivas. Well, that person has just established the emotional cap. He has just capped the low end. He can't go anywhere but up. Yeah. At the same time, he can't give anything emotional, nothing heartfelt, because he has capped the bottom end. Same thing holds true with the other people who smile. So we, we, there, are, there are a variety of different perspectives, but understanding, becoming aware of this beautiful, well-crafted, uniquely made tool. I think that's the first endeavor anybody needs to accomplish to become a, a, a more efficient and effective presenter or, or facilitator of information. And again, something that is not, I, you know, I've studied this for a long time, but I never thought about that. And as soon as you said it, it like that makes so much sense. That doesn't mean you start off in a boring way, but you start off in a, in a conversational, I don't know, dare I say normal way, but you allow more than anything else, I guess you say you allow yourself the space to go up or down, Yes. right? You have to do that. Otherwise you are stuck. And you know, you've seen those people that all they do is smile the whole time. And you're like, are like when you're mad, do you smile too? Like you can't, like, it's kind of weird, you know, and that almost becomes, and I don't know, there's God made people different ways or whatever, but it, as someone like that maybe needs to think, how do I start? So I just give myself that margin up or down to, 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 to create and craft that dynamic that is so essential for engagement. Mm-hmm. That yeah. even flow undeniably. Yes. Yeah. Well, another one that you, that you, again, I was like, okay, duh, was the, the mine, the, the you call it the mind 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 and 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 I do this all the time and I don't know why I do it but like for example I'll say my wife or my kids or my this or my that or my that and and you make the point about use the name don't just say my was my my wife's name is Judy don't just say my wife says just say Judy says so talk about why that's important the critical nature of our engagement with another human being is that we like to deal with human beings not possessions. Mm. Uh, I can talk about my car, or I can talk about my guitar, or I can talk about my desk or my computer. Those are possessions. Those are not animate objects. They may be uh, a, a prop in a story, but they are not part of the story. A human being, my wife, my friend, my cousin, they all have names. They have been given names. If we use their names, then more than likely people are going to engage with the person not the possession, not the not the the ownership of the story. You have a story that you're sharing uh, about your car. Well, you would refer to your car or your guitar, but when you refer to my wife, my husband, my brother, my sister, my father, it is a possession. But if you give it a name, now it becomes a person, and the audience now engages with a person, not a possession. And I think that the story just explodes with realism in their minds and their hearts. Yeah. Oh, it does. And that is something that even in the opportunities I've had to preach at churches since the training, I've incorporated that into my um, vocabulary and my style of introducing other figures because it makes you more of an interesting person too, because it's not just a dude that has a wife. It's a dude that has a wife named Judy. And right. it's like, that's just interesting because you, people will wonder what his wife's name is. You know, I mean, it's just, it just unlocks more of you to the people. And you said it, it gives them a, it gives that other person, an actual person, you know, as opposed to a possession. 
So there's so many other things that we could go through here uh, on this, but, and I guess, I guess this one we can, um, this, this other one you see, it's funny how you, you call it the preacher's creep. And, uh, you know, I guess we, those of us who are preachers are guilty of this because we, we have a captive audience that typically is not going to walk out. Although this would probably be a good opportunity for us to talk about a little bit of the nuances of online or even zoom because, mm-hmm. because I, I, cause the preacher's creep, I don't think we need to spend too much time on because we know that, you know, in a typical pre COVID scenario, if you go too long, when you have multi, we have different ministries going on, you make your children's ministry person mad, you know, you, you mess up the time between services. If you have multiple services, you just throw everybody off and it's kind of a selfish thing to do. And sometimes you get away with it, especially if it's the last service and it's like, well, I'm just going to go off. And I mean, I I'm guilty of that. Your last sermon was longer than your first one because there's nothing coming up behind it. And it's, you know, but, but there is kind of that whole concept of like, holy cow, you know, enough is enough. But now in the situation we're in now, if they're, if they're done with you, all they have to do is just hit a button and you're gone because we have so many people tuning in now on live streams and we have these restrictions on meeting in churches and whatever else. So now it's not just a matter of who is, it's not just a matter of clicks and views. It's a matter of longevity on those views. So talk briefly then, um, it will just, because I think this was very interesting as well about even setting things up properly on, on, you know, we have stages and everything else, but on, on, on camera and maybe the zoom environment or the live stream environment, what are some things that you would tell us to adapt better to this environment from a public speaking engagement perspective? Well, if at all possible, and again, this is from the technical perspective, um, it is amazing that all of a sudden there are a thousand experts on zoom right now. And yeah, again, I don't want to argue with any of them. They all have good, solid uh, tips and tricks, if you would, uh, for you to follow. But the reality is this. People want to engage with you, even if it is on screen. Uh, Sometimes when we consider this is not you, you is actually, in fact, I personally have a standing desk. And so I have the possibility of engaging with individuals that I can actually step back and now they can see my full body. Mm-hmm. If you're able to share from knees up and move forward and back side to side, you now have a, a little bit of, a, of an edge, if you would, when it comes to engaging in stories, not in a seminar or workshop or in a consulting perspective, but mostly if, if in, a, in a public speaking lecture, that type. Secondly, the idea, uh, if you're going to use slides, by all means, make them as visually impactful as possible, primarily because <laughs> the slide is now the presentation, and you are this little small box on the right-hand side or wherever else it's going to be on the screen. Uh, that becomes critical because you're going to lose people's attention within five to seven minutes. The World Championship of Public Speaking is five to seven minutes. TEDx is 12 minutes. TED Talks are 18 minutes. Why is that? Why have they been pegged to that amount of time? Primarily because they know that the human brain ceases to operate at 19 minutes. And I'm being facetious, but the reality is you can absorb information for 18 minutes on a consistent basis on a single topic with at least three different points that you need to, to concentrate on. But past that, 
it's almost impossible unless you are super dynamic and there's other elements that are being involved. In this environment, most conversations need to remain within that 15 to 20 minute mark um, unless you're actually bringing in several points and you know how to actually master that engagement by the pause, by tonality, by a variety of different perspectives. And if you can do that, uh, more than likely, you can have a higher engagement. Um, because the World Championship of Public Speaking is five to seven minutes, um, I've actually been able to coach those that do one hour keynotes. Hey, why don't you go ahead and break it up into somewhere around eight, five to seven minute speeches with incredible segues. And now you can actually bring them all together at the very end or in the middle, however you wish to bring it about. But we, if we start thinking in five to seven minute segments, we now can have that, 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 that angel's cocktail be more effective. If you're constantly making people feel good throughout a 20 minute, 30 minute, 40 minute conversation, more than likely, it's not going to actually end well, not from a perspective of, of, of a memorable presentation. Yeah. and or at least memorable engagement and that that that's one of the factors but in this environment there's so many different perspectives make sure you have a light on you make sure that you're looking at at somebody from the perspective of a camera right now i'm looking at you and behind you i have a poster of a huge audience of a picture that i took so i have if if i was presenting to a a, a group of people I'd be able to look not just at the camera for my point, but I'd be able to look to the left about six inches, to the right about six inches, and people will feel that they're in the room there with me because yeah. I'm actually treating, I'm actually presenting, I'm facilitating as if there was a group of people in this room and people feel, hey, I felt like I was right there and I've done this over and over and over again with, with feedback. So there's a lot, of, there's many, many details and small tactics and strategies you can use for this engagement. But Tim, I'm not going to lie to you. The number one factor I think that has to occur is having the understanding of authenticity. Mm. That is probably, I think that's, that's the number one factor that, that is lacking when it comes to facilitation in this environment, because we're very uncomfortable in front of the camera. We're very, um, very anxious. We're not, this is not a place for us to that we're used to and so there's a level of anxiety and unfortunately masking that occurs and authenticity starts going to the wayside under who are you i mean that self-awareness process if you can start looking and embracing it it's not compare yourself to someone else it's just to identify hey i'm being authentic here i'm trying to be authentic but if it's coming across perceived differently, it has nothing to do with them. What is it that you are actually, your face, your, 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 the way you stand, the way you actually are, are sharing information, what is it that you need to look at and then decide to consider whether you wish to work on it or not? It is not a factor of right or wrong, it is can you engage? I mean, nobody, you're not gonna start a conversation or, or talk saying, Hey, let me know at the end of this if I came across authentic. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> most, most people won't tell you that. Yeah. No, that's that that's for sure. And so I think that's so that's a great 
place for us to kind of land too is is the authenticity part. I do love how you 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 say, hey, look into the camera. And I think, you know, I mean, obviously if it's more of a casual thing, but we're having, I think we're having more, you know, we're having small group Bible studies, uh, leadership training events, these kinds of things, more things are happening on Zoom. And and so to look in the camera and then also to be able, like you said, you have a picture of an audience behind you so that, and and so the other thing, it keeps your head up so you're not looking down. You don't be looking down at people. We, mm-hmm. I think both of us have our computer screens or at least cameras elevated to eye mm-hmm. level. So I think that was an important part of it too, so that you can, you're, again, you're not looking down at people and your face kind of looks weird when you're looking down anyway, you don't be looking up. Like that's kind of weird too, but to have a, that eye level and that engagement is, is so important, you know? So then I guess what I want to ask is, so I want people to go, if, if they're interested in learning more about you and um, maybe even how you can, you can help them. Um, OmarRivas.com is your mm-hmm. website. So O-M-A-R-R-I-V-A-S.com. Mm-hmm. And they can learn more about you. And and maybe there's some people listening to this that go, you know what? I, I would love Omar to give me some feedback. Um, you guys who work out a deal. I mean, I, I'm just glad Omar, you know, you, you, you didn't charge me anything to, for all your information and knowledge. No. I mean, I appreciate that so much. But, you know, if other people want coaching, they can hire you. They, you can work with them. Um, this is what you do for a living. You're a professional at this. And you could, you know, I think it's kind of a cool opportunity maybe even for people to send in some stuff. Or maybe they could even give you a link and you could you could give them some feedback on even how what they're doing um, just by looking at them online. So how easy is that? And give them some pointers and whatever else. I mean, how how cool would that be? I've had the uh, the privilege, and I call it a privilege and an honor to be able to engage with chaplains and pastors outside, executives uh, also, uh, who will send me a talk, a sermon, if you would. Say, hey, Omar, could you give me some some feedback on this? And I happily do that, no charge. I mean, it's Mm. not, that's, it's what my passion, if I can, if it's on, if it's on one particular project, by all means, I don't judge a particular speech. I judge the speaker. And because you can change the speeches right. and the talks and the sermons and everything else, but the speaker remains the same. And how do we actually improve that uh, is something that I'm, I'm always open to by all means. Uh, yeah. People can email me and just say, Hey, listen, I, I heard your podcast. I'd be more than happy to share your, share a video uh, with you. You know, it's on YouTube and a private channel. Uh, I'll give you the link. Uh, that's the easiest way to do it. Just upload it to YouTube, make it a, a an unlisted video, send me the link to say, hey, Mark, give me some feedback. And I'll give you my my impression as an audience member and as a professional coach. And it'll just allow you to give become a little more aware. Understand that if I give feedback to somebody, they need to be unaware of what I'm talking about. If I'm if I give them the idea that they're, if I start talking about the transactional analysis that is occurring when they're actually presenting a particular topic, uh, people are engaging into the adult ego state, not the child ego state, they might start thinking, well, what's that? And so the learning process is also part of that. But I'd be happy to go ahead. I, I am looking at producing a curriculum and I'm producing, I, I've written two books, haven't published any, I mean, I'm one of those guys. Um, but I'm also looking at Anytime I can engage with another human being for the benefit of them becoming a better human being, um, I'm going to be there. There's no question about it. Yeah. Money aside, 
money aside. I no, mean, and that's awesome because I think, that, and, and for, again, for the majority, I mean, all, basically all of our pastors and I mean, lead pastor, teaching pastor, student ministry pastors and leaders and directors and anybody that does this, you know, I mean, we all, so much of our stuff is up online anyway. So it's just a matter of sending you a link. It's all public and it's just easy yep. for you to go look at. I mean, I, I would say that is an amazing tool that you've offered our pastors, our EFCA family, and you're not EFCA, you're just, you know, you're, uh, you know, you have a passion for this, but that's an amazing opportunity to, to get somebody else who's a trained professional to get eyes on you and just give you some feedback. I mean, again, this, the few things that you told me in the few demonstrations that I did were, were, were specific. They were so specific and so plain. And here's the thing. No one else is going to tell me like they might go, Oh, you talk kind of fast or you move your arms too much. Okay. Well, duh. I know that already. Um, but like there was things that you pointed out that are like, no one's going to tell me that quite with that specificity with those nuances that I went, wow, I didn't realize that. So again, I, that's like a huge thing. I mean, I, I don't want that to be lost on people. That's uh that's I really appreciate you you doing that. My uh, my pleasure. Any opportunity I can do that, I'd be happy to. Tim, I appreciate it. Omar, I I am so grateful for for your knowledge and and your your attention to your craft, your ability to develop your craft in such a way that it can be beneficial to others and certainly useful and and in our realm as um, pastors and leaders. We, we want to see God glorified. We want to see more people uh, come to know him. And we, and we believe we have the best message in the world. It's, it's not the message. It's the messenger that tends to get in the way. And, and we want to do everything we can to eliminate that static so that message comes through with clarity, with creativity, with gusto, with engagement, with, with uh, that authenticity that you said that's just so important. So Omar, thanks so much for being a part of our, our podcast today. Appreciate it. You bless me and I'm honored and privileged to have had the opportunity, not just to have met you and to work with you, but also to be here and hopefully uh, share the good word with people. So thank you. I appreciate that without a doubt. Hey, thanks a lot. Thanks.